today's scripture reading is from Acts 9, 36 through 43. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Darkus, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please, come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and the other clothing that Darkus had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Okay, uh, we're in the middle of a little sermon series on evangelism, right? Evangelism. Uh, the impetus is our 2022 Church Key Verse, which has as its first element, uh, Paul's confession that we proclaim him. We proclaim him. That is Jesus Christ uh, to the world. Our mission is to share the gospel of Christ uh, with others. Last week, uh, we noted um, how Matthew, the tax collector, began to not only uh, follow the Lord, but how he immediately uh, invited his friends to interact with Jesus at a dinner he hosted in his own home. Uh, Matthew practiced what I dubbed uh, contact evangelism. That's like contact sports, but contact evangelism, right? bringing people into contact uh, with Jesus. I trust you reflected and made application of the message this past week by finding ways, um, big and small, of introducing uh, our unbelieving friends and family to some aspect of Jesus uh, in your life or the life of the body of Christ. Um, I'm excited about some of the upcoming opportunities um, in our various ministry groups. Um, uh, are we going to sh shoot arrows at maple trees or something like that? Uh, and our church-wide uh, Easter extravaganza. Right? Of course, contact evangelism is not limited to events, uh, but can be practiced every day and in every way. Uh, today, uh, I'd like us to dig uh, into a touching narrative found in the book of Acts uh, regarding the ministry efforts advanced by a Christian disciple named Tabitha, right, uh, a.k.a. Dorcas. Um, Tabitha, I will try to explain, engaged in what people today uh, might call servant evangelism, servant evangelism. She communicated and shared the gospel by serving others. Uh, it's visible in the description found in verse 36. She was always doing good and helping the poor. Uh, what that tells me is that she served uh, from her heart. Uh, it was not obligatory or utilitarian. Uh, it was not selfish or uh, self uh, kind of... Uh, expressive. Um, it was from 
a genuine love and generosity uh, that caused her to heartily uh, help others. Right? From that sense, that I formulated the title that you see there, heartily, to indicate her sincere effort and purity of motive in sharing the love and person of Jesus Christ uh, to others. Uh, by examining the circumstances uh, as the passage sets forth around her ministry, uh, actually her death, and her then her being raised from the dead, uh, I'd like to share how we too can proclaim Christ right, through acts of love and service and more. So using the idea of heart then, um, I'm going to organize the sermon into three parts with the following uh, accents. So wholehearted, right? That's going to talk about um, Tabitha's service. So it's wholehearted, right? Just from the heart. And then uh, the next section will be about the heartfelt reaction of those that were touched by um, Tabitha's love and how they responded, how they felt about her. Right? They were really blessed, right? And then heartbeat, because we're going to talk about <laughs> her death and then her raising in the last few verses. So uh, first, let's consider uh, Tabitha's mindset and motives as she gave herself for the needs of others. Um, I want to say that, uh, that her service was conducted wholeheartedly. It appears that she served the needy from the compassion, out of the compassion of her heart. This was not her professional occupation. She was not like a, necessarily a seamstress or anything like that uh, or a social worker. She was not working for some relief organization. She saw with her own eyes how needy people were, and so she gave of her time, energy, and skill. Right? She herself might not have been a woman of means, but she sacrificed what she could for those in more unfortunate circumstances. I think this best explains the universal reaction of appreciative grief demonstrated by those she had aided. I don't think she was, uh, you don't see any obligation or guilt uh, in her actions, right, in her acts of kindness. She wasn't some sort of pushover uh, who just couldn't say no. Like people say, can you help me? And you know, some of us, you know, we want to be known as someone who helps others and does good. But that's not what was driving her. her. Rather, her heart was big enough, roomy enough to go out to those who were suffering. I think the pandemic has made all of our hearts shrink a little, maybe even shrivel up. <laughs> we've narrowed those that we feel like we can care for, that we want to care for. And so there's been, a, I think, a concentration on, like, Myself, my own issues, my own needs, my own wants, my own challenges, as well as you know those maybe close to us, but it, it's it's a narrow uh, kind of willingness uh, to help others, to help people that maybe don't have a direct connection to us, those who don't give us something back, quid pro quo, kind of thing. Uh, we've become, I think, smaller-hearted. Um, but not Tabitha, right? Her compassion, her big heart, uh, led her to choose to do something about the needs that she saw. It's not half-hearted, it's not compulsory. Tabitha was not looking for some sort of reward or recompense. Her love for people did not require 
uh, reciprocation. Uh, but obviously, she was dearly beloved in, in turn. So when we do this kind of servant evangelism, right, I don't think we can genuinely or effectively um, share the gospel if we're driven by these kind of, you know, either mixed motives or selfish motives or, or duty or guilt, right, or a desire for recognition. Right? People can see through this, right? Uh, New Yorkers love to kind of cut through the... The, the, the gloss and, and really you know, get down to the, the heart of the matter. Um, you know, if, they, if we're half-hearted or if we're motives are, are less than a noble, um, if we treat evangelism like a, a task, a to-do list, oh, I have to be nice to people, oh, I have to share the gospel, or I have to reach out to this person, that, that, that is pretty obvious. I think Tabitha, as far as the, the, the limited information we have, I want to say that um, the widows, they were not projects. They were not some quota, some evangelistic quota her pastor told her to meet. Right? Uh, no, she, these widows, these poor, unrepresented, unprotected widows were precious uh, to her. They were like family. And so she poured out to them with genuine sacrifice and interest. And that really is the heart of servant evangelism, right? That we love the people we are serving in the name of Christ. Right? See them as, you know, I like the way Alice put it, as we, as we exist. Yeah, just the bare fact that they are children of God, made in the image of God. Right? That we uh, see, we have compassion when they are in, in need. Uh, without the gospel. Right? They might be in a dire situation. They might need an act of kindness. Or they might be hungry and thirsty for the truth of the gospel story to give meaning and hope uh, in their lives. Right? Paul puts it in Romans 12.9 uh, as love must be sincere. And again in Colossians 3.23 as whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you're serving. So ask yourself, um, am I doing evangelism because I want the accolades of people, or am I doing it out of my heart, out of love, wholeheartedly? Uh, am I doing this to gain something from the act of service or in the simple joy of helping another human being in need? Uh, if I'm never appreciated or thanked in this life, uh, am I still willing to communicate the gospel through service? If the person that I'm trying to share the gospel with doesn't come to personal faith in the time frame I desire, would I still be willing to extend my time and energy? I think evangelism is something that you got to kind of check up on yourself. Am I do, going through the motions of serving others? Right? Am I doing it half-heartedly, begrudgingly, or bitterly? It's worst of all, right? Um, I think it's, if we find that, if we see that lurking or occupying our hearts, then um, it's time to maybe take a step back, spend more time in God's presence, um, reflect on all the ways in which uh, God has loved me graciously. Recall how others have loved you 
unconditionally and mercifully. I, I read a story uh, about uh, Howard Schultz, uh, the CEO of Starbucks. Uh, apparently he was in Europe and uh, he was in a coffee shop, of course. You know, and he observed the baristas that worked in, in those local coffee shops. And he saw how much passion and love <laughs> they had as they were you know, making their coffee. He says that it was as if each barista was pouring his heart and soul uh, into the coffee. Brewing coffee appeared to be an art form. But he noticed that in his own Starbucks um, shops or, or stores, um, that baristas were simply going through the motions. Right? Uh, in the formative years of Starbucks, uh, the attention of the baristas was on the coffee. But with the other emergence of, uh, of food items and music, right, their attention became divided. And so he thought the quality of coffee and the customer experience had spiraled downwards. The company had drifted. Right, so in 2008, uh, he called a timeout. Uh, he um, shut down Starbucks in 7,000 locations in February of 2008 for three hours. Right? And during those three hours, approximately 135,000 employees were retrained on the original company essence, making coffee. Does anybody remember that time? And was there a significant <laughs> uh, improvement in the coffee after that? I'm not sure. Right? But I think it's an interesting gesture, uh, interesting act. And sometimes we need that when, if we really want to uh, evangelize, I think, the way the Lord did, the way that Tabitha did, yeah, in a wholehearted manner. Uh, the second heart word for us uh, to think about is how heartfelt, right? the expressions of gratitude and grief were by the people uh, touched by Tabitha's love. Right? The fruit of Tabitha's efforts uh, is evinced through the reaction of the people who either uh, knew her heart or were beneficiaries of her love. So first in verse 38, the fact that the uh, disciples sent uh, their representatives to summon or ask uh, Apostle Peter to come soon after her demise. Like, if she was a nobody that really didn't have a heart for people, I don't think it would have evoked this kind of reaction, but they went out of their way to uh, ask Peter uh, to come. And even more telling were the widows themselves who were mourning the loss of Tabitha. It says they were crying and showing him, Peter, the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them, verse 39. And here was tangible proof. Uh, of their heartfelt love for and the sense of sorrow at uh, the death of Tabitha. I think one evidence, one piece of evidence of the impact that uh, we might have on another person's life is seen at occasions such as funerals or partings. Right? When Tabitha died, uh, those whom she cared for were deeply moved by the blessings she had made upon their lives. What kind of emotions and reactions would people have, right? Maybe at our, at, at our funeral, at my funeral, at your funeral, right? What kind of obituary right, would uh, those that we've tried to uh, build a relationship or had connection to, what would we say about us? Um, <laughs> there's this TV show, right? Uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Um, and uh, my favorite actor is uh, Tony Shalhoub. 
right? He plays Monk. He's being famous for him. He's he plays uh, I think the main character's father, right? And he's he's a brilliant uh, guy, but he's got conspiracy theories, and I just love the way that he kind of gets all discombobulated. But he really has like a, a core that it, you can also see that he he is a, a a man of love, and he 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 tries to you know maintain his his uh, quirks and all that, but. Uh, it, it's it, it's like a very nice um, blend of like drama, drama and comedy in my mind, right? But anyway, um, he plays Abe Weissman, and uh, Abe thinks his in-law uh, Moish. I'm not sure if I'm. That's how they I think is is Moses, right? Moish. Um, he's had a heart attack, and he's not, he's been unconscious for a few days. So uh, Abe thinks that he's either. Uh, gonna die soon or, you know, is already dead, right? And so he starts working on a tribute, right? A, an obituary that he wants to publish um, in the newspapers. He first unsuccessfully tries to get it printed in the New York Times, but settles for the Village Voice, right? The newspaper he works at. Um, so he, he, he hears he has to come to the hospital, so he, he arrives there out of breath, obituary in hand and actually sees that Moish is alive and recovering and like so he's like kind of uh, 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 he's relieved but like you know kind of and he tries to pretend that he doesn't have the obituary but everyone makes him like read it right and uh, they make him recount what he'd written and so he talks about some biographical details of Moish and like his Moish's role in helping uh, rescue some Jews and stuff and then it takes a personal turn and that's what's uh, on the slide, uh, Abe says, I talk about how you took us in when we had nowhere to go. Right, so they had, they, they had kind of, he had lost his job because at Columbia teaching physics or math or something and uh, you know, they had to leave their uh, Upper West Side apartment. You did not have to, uh, but you did. And you asked us for nothing. You made sure our daughter was taken care of even though she was not married to your son anymore, you were a very good man, and I, I miss you very much. Uh, but you're not dead, so <laughs> it takes the comic turn. Uh, but you know, everyone's touched. Moish, like you know, I think, uh, touches his own heart. I just had a heart attack. Uh, expressing his appreciation, his thanks for the kind words. Yeah. Tabitha was all about wholehearted service which created uh, heartfelt appreciation in people. You know, the clothing that the widows show Peter were um, surely donations uh, from her end, right? Maybe her own money, maybe her own clothing, not items that she sold or traded. Um, uh, Tabitha spent the time not only making these clothes, but procuring the material, designing it, fitting it, right, for... Uh, to the person she wanted to, you know, give the clothing to. It was not an anonym, anonymous gift. It was personalized. There was a lot of heart and care uh, put in, right? Too often, I think we desire to express, uh, you know, this need or whatever duty to help others, give others. I think we're too, con it's too convenient, right? The quick handout, auto pay. Right? Uh, the routine visitation or the convenient act of service. That's a, a way to discharge our responsibilities, but it doesn't engender uh, a heartfelt 
response. They don't see Christ in us. Because maybe we're not really doing it through Christ. Maybe we are, but it's not the spirit by which the Lord um, serves us, right? Love takes care. Love takes time. Love uh, often entails creativity. So uh, this past week, I spent some time in uh, Rochester. Uh, my mother, she's 88 years old, and I think uh, relatively healthy, uh, but uh, she lost a lot of weight during the pandemic. Uh, she was like kind of concerned with her sugar levels or something, watching too many YouTube videos, I think. And so she like cut out sugar and then she lost a lot of weight. And so the doctor said, stop doing that, eat nutritiously, et cetera, et cetera. But she didn't gain any weight. She actually lost a little bit more between like a six-month span. So, uh, you know, we're concerned that there's something else going on or at least, you know, she's not, she's a little bit malnourished. So I kind of went up there to try to get her um, into a, a more healthy eating and exercise routine, right? So uh, this was hard for me because it's, it's like so, I'm trying to do social eating with her, right? Like try to make sure that she eats, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner and that they're all kind of carb-rich and they're, you know, fruits and vegetables, good stuff, right? And, of course, those are the stuff that I shouldn't eat in, in, in excess, right? So in trying to <laughs> help her, I hurt myself, I think, a, a little bit. But, you know, still, it took a lot of, I think, um, brain cells to try to figure out uh, the foods that she can. I, I, you don't have to kind of, like, twist her arm to eat, right? She refuses to take, like, Insure or, the, you know, the, those kind of drinks, right? So... It's either stuff that we can buy that's healthy or stuff to make and, you know, that, those kinds of things. So my sister and I were putting a lot of time into planning the meals and making sure she sits down and nagging her. Like, yeah, that was fine. Like, my mom always nags me, so I got to nag her back uh, about this. Um, and then so I had to look for, like, certain, like, you know, like, interests that she has, certain foods that I could tell that maybe she had a, a kind of a craving for hankering or maybe even that she wanted to try and I had to pounce on it I, you know it was like it was work <laughs> in other words right you know meal planning uh, those of you that are into that like you know wow I respect you because I would just open the refrigerator and you know you know eat whatever's there that, that, that's my uh, approach but you know I wanted to uh, you know do what I could to help her and then you know, stretching and then trying to walk, you know, in, in the cold. That took a lot of time and, you know, um, we, we did stretching and, wow, um, the, a person's ability to say the same thing to you over like five or six days, the exact same stories. Like, you know, my mom told me that, you know, she never had, you know, she, she has a lot of, you know, she's 88, so a lot of, a lot of the you know, knuckles stick out and then there's, you know, veins on her hand and, she talked about it 12 times, <laughs> morning and night. My, you know, my grandmother always said my hands were not pretty. My grandmother, so her mom told her hands are not pretty. And I see how, you know, it, but it was, you know, that that's why I was there, to kind of be a sounding board and to encourage her that, you know, you got to be flexible, you got to get an appetite and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, so she's my mom, right? I'm supposed to love her and that, but... Um, I, I thought about, you know, I was preparing this message that, you know, if I could have that kind of heart, that kind of interest, that kind of burden for 
other people, even one other person, could I not uh, convey this heart of a spiritual, I mean, uh, servant evangelism? I've been telling you that uh, I've been trying to be more open to our neighbors. And so if there's this one lady, uh, we have a lot of elderly people uh, living in our buildings. And there's one lady that uh, I saw her with her husband, uh, you know, year, uh, a few years back, and we always said hi to each other and stuff. And then uh, for a while, this is before the pandemic, uh, I didn't see her husband around. So I just asked, oh, how are you guys doing? How's your husband? She lost her husband. He passed away, right? And so, oh, I, I said I didn't know. And we ended up talking like half an hour about, you know, her husband and, you know, all the ways that she misses him and stuff like that. So, you know, um, I actually volunteered that she, if she ever needed to like move anything or, you know, get a ride to the hospital or so, you know to the doctor or something like that. So like, um, you know, so that I could help her, you know, physically uh, as necessary and stuff. And I think, right, she was um, appreciative, right? Um, I, you know, like I said, they were elderly people, so everyone envies my Costco cart, right? My Costco cart's I've had it for like, I think this one's like seven, eight years. It's really sturdy and like. It's, it's, it's um, like you can, you know, I, I'm a master packer, so I can, I can actually get a lot of stuff in there. And it's great because it's got these wheels that allow you to maneuver in the elevator. That's the key, guys. If your cart can move in the elevator, you found the right cart, right? Because most carts are like, you know, you have to drag it on the ground or you're going to crush every, you run over everybody's toes. But I've been perfect in my, uh, in my uh, elevator etiquette with, with my cart. I think once a week, once every couple weeks, I'm moving, I'm, I'm like carrying groceries for people <laughs> with my Costco cart because I'm always doing it. And I just, you want, you want to put it here and, and that kind of stuff. And it, it's a tiny thing, right? It's like insignificant. But um, I, I want that to be uh, a means by which I can get to know them, get to hopefully, you know, build a relationship. Um, contact evangelism and servant uh, evangelism, right? And, and there's a number of, of, of stories, right, um, through my own Christian ministry that I have found um, where you can exercise that kind of care and heart, right? And, um, you know, Lord willing, there is... Uh, gratitude, right? There is impact uh, that's made, right? I always tell you about um, a guy named Frank, um, who as a college student had muscular dystrophy, and he was in, he, he really didn't have control over his muscles, and he needed 24-hour um, know, care. Um, but we did all that we could to try to um, share life with him, help him to grow in Christ, um, you know, like, he always needed a straw to drink through, so like Mona purchased a thousand straws, gave it to him. I had my dad's pickup truck at the time, so we always put him in the. We had to lift him off the seat, put him in, in the in the in the front seat. Not only seat belt him in, but make sure he you know, he didn't have the power to stay uh, sitting. He always slid when we made a turn, so we had to make sure that he was comfortable. It was a very heavy wheelchair, but like th three or four guys would lift it on the bed of the truck and we would tie it down with ropes, make sure that it was secure. And We took him everywhere, right? Everywhere that we went for fellowship uh, and stuff. Um, he had home care, but sometimes people didn't show up and so we made a rotation so that we could be with him all the time. Just 
ways in which uh, we could help. And he shared his uh, testimony, salvation testimony, and his, uh, you know, uh, how he uh, had come to faith in, in, in our church. And um, I, I was really glad that uh, uh, we had a chance to serve in this way and uh, mutually share life uh, together. He was, he was a real blessing, I think, uh, to many of us. Um, in the Rise of Christianity, it's a book by the uh, sociologist Rodney Stark. Um, he made a point that um, it was actually service to the poor uh, at that time. That was a key element of how Christianity, right, became uh, the official uh, religion of the Roman Empire, right? Um, kind of uh, his, his, his argument was that Christians basically operated a massive welfare system in the face of constant hunger and disease. Right, so when the plague hit, typical response is everyone flees, right? But um, as one of the uh, Bishop Dionysius observed, heedless of danger, Christians took charge of the sick, attending to their very every need, and ministering to them in Christ. And of course, there was, you know, uh, suffering. Christians died in the plagues, but because of their uh, hygiene, because of their practice, because of their love. Um, it helped lower the mortality rates, so uh, and it made a, a big impact on non-believers. They were attracted to this kind of love and effectiveness. Right? So wholehearted love, um, wholehearted servant evangelism makes a heartfelt impact on others and help uh, can help them to see and meet the one right, who rules our hearts. Right? Okay, the final heart point is uh, what I labeled as heartbeat. I'm going to use that word in two ways. The first being Tabitha's heartbeat uh, coming to a stop. The feel-good story of Tabitha's life takes a sad turn when her physical life comes to an end. I was going to say heartbreak. The, the widows are heartbroken uh, as a result. Right, but God did not leave uh, the... Um, he did not let the bereavement uh, scene be the finale. Uh, through Peter, God raises Tabitha from the dead. Her loving heart beat once, beats once more. And Peter is the agent through which God provides a stupendous miracle. Right? Peter himself had been an eyewitness of Jesus raising others from the grave. Right Now Peter gets to be used by God to effectuate the same, right? So when Jesus raised a little girl from the dead, he used these words, Talitha kum, right? Talitha kum, uh, which means little girl, I say to you, get up, right? Talitha kum. Now in this passage, uh, the term that Peter utters is Tabitha kum, right? So there's a little word play there, Tabitha, her name, uh, get up. And she does. She comes back from uh, the dead. I, I dare say that the miracle contributed and augmented the spread of the gospel. As a result of her being raised from the dead, verse 42, this became known all over Joppa, and many people believed uh, in the Lord. Right? Similar to how the resurrection of Jesus got the attention of people and led people to faith, the story of Tabitha's return uh, helped spread the gospel. Right. So that's the second sense of heartbeat that I want to use, the gospel, the gospel. 
right? even through the localized miracle of being brought back to life. This was evidenced. This was what Tabitha embodied right? in life, in death, and in real life, if you will. Tabitha was evangelistic. Right? Her kindness, her impact, her submission to God, her being the instrument of blessing and miracle, they were all centered on proclaiming salvation through her Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Right? It wasn't about Tabitha the person. Tabitha and her, you know, her, her, her universe, her, her, her world, her orbit. It was about the gospel. That was the heartbeat heartbeat of Tabitha's life. And, and as the narrative depicts, uh, it could not, the gospel could not be extinguished, right? Even by the lack of a physical heartbeat. The gospel could not be relegated to the grave. Right? Just as Jesus rose from the dead, nor could uh, Tabitha's servant evangelism. Yeah. So I want to say that our lives, right, you and me, 21st century in New York City, uh, sh it should beat at the rhythm of the gospel, right? Whether the gospel wants us to go fast or slow or steady or robust, clear, whatever, we should be about demonstrating the vitality and power of the gospel uh, in our lives. We should see it. We should see the gospel in our acts of kindness, like Tabitha. Yeah, what kind of clothing, what kind of robes are we applying uh, ourselves to, right? And is it going to be maybe buried in our casket with us so that when it's over, it doesn't really matter much because we those things die with us because those things were about us, right? That was her, Tabitha's legacy, wasn't it? She left the robes and the clothing as a sign of her love for the widows. We should see the gospel in heartfelt reactions from the people we're serving. Right? Who have we really touched? We may be saying the right things, we may be doing a bunch of activity, but you know, who, who will weep? Who will be moved when we are uh, no longer there? Who sees Jesus in us while we're still around? Right? Who sees our humility? Who sees our sacrifice? Who sees that it's the real me uh, reaching out with no strings attached? And I think we should see the gospel in the fruit or the outcome of our lives. Yeah, through the miracles, through the testimonies, right? through the changed lives. I think if Tabitha, if her character and her gospel-centric life was not glorifying to God, um, you know, this story would not be here. We would not be talking about her. But because she demonstrated the character of Christ, um, that made this kind of uh, amazing story. Right? So again, as I've been talking about in the context of evangelism, you know, we will need to learn some how-tos, right? How do I do contact evangelism? How do I do uh, from this example of servant evangelism? Hopefully next Sunday it's more of the conversational evangelism. Um, but a new life, 
right? A gospel-centered life, that's what speaks volumes, right? Less about the how-to, but the who-to. Who am I? What do really do people really see the gospel in me? Do they want to hear the gospel from me? Do they want to receive the gospel from me? That that's a big question. And I think that's maybe what the widows of the world right are really looking for uh, in Christians. Are we up to the task? Last little point. The unmistakable heartbeat of the gospel is further found in this small narratival detail noted in verse 43. Right? Peter, it says that Peter stayed for some time uh, in Joppa at the home of a tanner named Simon. Right? Uh, and this is significant in the flow of church history because it was in that home that uh, God sent um, emissaries of Cornelius, the centurion. They are sent to find Simon, who's at the home of uh, the tanner, um, to find Peter, who's at the home of Simon the tanner in uh, Joppa. This is where Peter gets that vision of a blanket full of unclean animals, and that he needs to like learn that the Gentiles are just as ready, just as qualified to hear and receive the gospel as the Jews were. Right, despite Peter's being the miracle worker. Um, for Tabitha and her friends, Peter's heart was not beating fully with the gospel's drum. More lessons to learn about God's wholehearted love for all people, even the Gentiles. So the next chapter, there's a major step taken in the propagation of the gospel. Right? Peter summoned to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, about 30 miles from Joppa. There he preaches to the people, to Cornelius and the people in his family that are gathered there. And they become saved. Right? The, uh, Peter realizes that the gospel is for everyone. Um, I wonder if Peter was impacted by this Tabitha story, that he was called to come to Joppa, right? and then he's called to come to Cornelius' house. And he sees what Tabitha has done. She was willing to associate with the lowest in society. And he was she was willing to pour out her life uh, for others. Maybe that softened Peter's heart and allowed him to put to verbal expression the kind of gospel message that Tabitha's actions uh, depicted. Last slide is the uh, one from ended with last week, right? The quote from the book that I was reading. You are a Christian because somebody cared. Now it's your turn. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, as we um, hopefully maybe be are prompted to uh, think about the uh, Tabithas in our life, those who have cared for us in just so many different ways, people that have evoked a heartfelt reaction from us. Lord, help us to um, think of them Help us to desire uh, uh, to grow a, a wider heart uh, for the widows and others in need you've placed in our lives. Lord, help our evangelism to be sincere. Help it to uh, really come out of the compassion that you have implanted in us. Help us to be willing uh, to... Uh, love people as you've loved us. Uh, help us uh, to 
march to the beat of the gospel. Um, please allow us uh, to um, love as you have loved us uh, first um, through our uh, humble acts of care and kindness and service, Lord. Uh, may many people hear of it, hear of the power of the gospel, and believe in the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.